Okay. Ready? Yes. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Creepy Inquiries. A podcast dedicated to all things creepy, spoopy, and true crimey. With your hosts, Miss and Kevin. Your friendly neighborhood queers. Let's your week i've been doing good i had a great week over the weekend uh ben and i went to go see our friends uh stand-up show here in baltimore and it was their inaugural queer comedy night and that was very fun yeah the the queers came out and the place was packed ben and i usually go to this venue to see him do stand up mm-hmm. and right. um it's not often as packed as that night was so oh, that was well, really exciting good. yeah it was yeah. really exciting people are finally going outside mm-hmm. so they're just like well we have to all go now <laughs> queers unite we and, must support yes <laughs> and the show was good too everyone did a really good stand up uh set oh nice Except for like one person, and I've never seen That's them perform okay. there. And Listen, <laughs> you can't judge a performer off of one performance. Of course you couldn't. Of and course not. I'm sure they're just beginning, and I wish them all the best. I don't know why I'm defending this person. I, I was not I, I, there, and they could be a terrible person. Yeah. They- <laughs> I don't know them and I don't owe them my undying support. So um, this is a little misdirected. I'm glad everybody did really well, though. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) So how was your week, dear? What'd you do? Oh, it was okay. I am. What did I do? Nothing much. I yesterday, uh, the weekend, I went to my sister's house and I saw her and my sister-in-law and my cousin and we just had a fun afternoon just hanging out on the deck and talking shit so that was a lot of fun um shout out to my sister-in-law rachel because she said that she has start she ran out of episodes and she started to re-listen to them yeah um thanks rach uh thank thank you rachel and (laughs) if you have anything you or anyone have anything you want us to cover uh, mm-hmm. please let us know. And you can do that at creepyinquiriespod at gmail.com yes. or on our socials at creepyinquiriespod on all of those. But yes. yeah, thanks to everyone for your support um, and your listens. And yeah. Well said. That sounds great. Yeah. I, I thank you. I, yeah. I echo everything that Miss was just saying. Oh, so we were also talking about uh, someone's wedding and um, everyone is, very excited. And, uh, yeah, we were all just talking about outfits and and stuff and I showed them y'all. I finally decided on an outfit, uh, for Gavin's wedding. 
So I showed them and uh, yeah, so we were talking about that for a while. Nice. I, tried to, I tried to explain the theme to them and I was just like, think pink and leopard prints and teals. And they were like, okay. And I was like, <laughs> I don't really know how, what else to say. And I was just like, he said, just be as fancy as you want. And so um, we were, the word fascinator was thrown around. Ooh. Um, there might be a contingent of jumpsuits from that side of the aisle. We'll wait and see. Only my decision has been set in stone. Yeah. It's not even set in stone. I still have to friggin' order it. But that's so I had exciting. A lot of yes, I had a lot of fun doing that. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. Ooh. 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 <laughs> this is my only opportunity to try out different voices to see how it come across in a recording. No, I so. <laughs> think I think you should do your vowel your vowels in that last voice in your monster voice. I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah. That would be yeah. original. It really would be on brand. Yeah, definitely memorable. Did you see? He did like his vows to the Monster Mash. Ooh. Well, not to the Monster Mash, to the voice of the Monster Mash. Yes, yes. It was more of an homage. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's fun. So anything anything new for the wedding? Did you do anything this week for that? Yes, we did. We ended up having... We made the decision to extend the reception for an hour because uh, yeah, it's happening on a Saturday night. So it was originally going to be ending at 10 mm -hmm. and we thought, why not make it 11? Yeah, why not? So yeah, we're making you're it right, 11. You're right in a good neighborhood for when you're done if people mm -hmm. still want to hang out and do something. Exactly. We made that choice. And then we Fun. had to go to a, oh, what kind of establishment? It's a store where they sell, or sorry, rent out linens and glassware and chairs for parties. Party supply. Yeah. Like events. I guess, supply. yeah, event supply. Yeah. But like the showroom is literally wall to wall of just um, tablecloths. And a wall of napkin swatches. That sounds like too many. That sounds like too many options. True. We knew already what we wanted to do. So, okay, yeah, we, we knew Always already. We plan. had already picked okay. it out at the venue. We just had to go and we, we could actually see what it looked like in person. We got there and uh -huh, we're like, right. we only want this uh, peacock. It's called peacock. And I sent you a picture, right, miss? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes, I saw it, and I showed um, I showed my girl. Cool. I showed the girls yes, uh, yesterday too. <laughs> yes, loved it. oh, yeah. I'm very excited I for loved it. it. And the color of my outfit, the color yeah. is peacock. So my getup will be the exact same color, and I have shoes from another wedding that match that runner nice. that's going to be on that head table. So I might, I yeah. might. Y'all also, those. I don't think I've ever said, but. The theme that Ben and I are going for for our wedding, since we're going to be getting married in a venue that is quite fancy, quite fancy, mm -hmm. we need Trade to fancy. kind of class it down a few pegs. Since we are in Baltimore, mm -hmm. we're queer, uh, the best thing of mm -hmm. 
source material is John Waters. So we're making more of a like homage to that aesthetic. No direct references, really, but... Yeah. And I told them when they were trying to like, they're like, what's the theme? And I was like, there's not really a theme. It's just more so like everything's going to be just a touch gaudy, mm-hmm. like a touch, a touch over the, over the top, but not crazy. Like it's all very nice. Yes. Everything that I've seen so far. Yes. You, gaudy. You told we me gaudy. ordered. <laughs> okay. Cause I feel, I feel like it's an insult when I no, say no, that. No, to yes. no, no, we, no, no, no. Like just tell them that we purchased <laughs> Leopard print silk <laughs> rose petals. Okay, okay. I did. This is what I did. I did. I said the girls are going to be walking down with pink um, and leopard print rose yeah, petals. Like we're silk not rose petals. Fooling around. <laughs> I'm very excited. No, no, no. Oh, but yes, that's coming in a little while and I'm very excited for it. And and I'm very looking oh, forward so to excited. seeing everyone in the same place and all that and fun stuff. Yeah. But I feel like getting some uh, some stories in today. I don't know about you, oh, Miss. Do you want me? You want Mama to read you a story? Can Can it be story time now? I would it can be love story to hear. Time now. Of course. Well, tis my week to true crime you. And yes. I went. I just went comfy, cozy, old school serial killer. Yay! Just, just classic serial killer bullshit. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, so I'm excited. Oh, will I know this serial killer? Um, So it's – they're not like top ten. They're not like a John Wayne Ooh. Gacy type. Like they're not uh-huh. that level. I know about this case only because of a few years ago I heard it on other podcasts and stuff. Like mm-hmm. I'd never heard about that outside of that world so maybe but i wouldn't be surprised either way cool you'll find out later <laughs> i hope so i hope so late okay. on me like a lead bib at the dentist <laughs> okay picture it cleveland post world war one Ooh. Cleveland was the sixth largest city in the U.S. and had a a large transient population due to the railroads that went through it and the popularization of the automobile. (laughs) Even before the Great Depression, Cleveland had a large homeless population that only increased after the crash in 1929. Mm. The Depression closed the ports and the steel mills and auto plants in Detroit only adding to the already underserved transient and otherwise homeless population in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. Um, By 1933, more than 40% of factory workers and 67% of construction workers were unemployed in Ohio and approximately 50% of industrial workers in Cleveland were unemployed. As a result, uh, there was nowhere to put all these people. So they did what they could and like constructed a bunch of these And when they, I don't mean the government, Mm -hmm. of course, I mean the people who lost their jobs and everything they had and now had become homeless with no resources, they had put together shanty towns within Mm -hmm. the city limits. The largest one had about a population of 200, and that was located near 13th Street and Lake Shore in Cleveland. And then in the 1930s, Kingsbury Run was a shanty town that was essentially built on a landfill and trash. The residents of the right, right? 
the residents of the slums were mostly working poor. So people who, though homeless and though living in these shanties, they mm. still were working all day, normally 12, 16 hours a day. But the dispossessed um, of the Great Depression overall in these shanty towns were living, they were appalling conditions, trash and filth were everywhere, and they were called the hobo jungles, and they occupied most of Kingsbury Run. There was an area east of Kingsbury Run known as the Roaring Third, and mm-hmm. that's where um, bars, brothels, flop houses, gambling dens were all over in the Roaring Thirds. And so there was a lot of people who lived in the shanty, I'm sorry, who lived in Kingsbury Run. They mostly populated the businesses in the Roaring Third. Okay, then, okay. Yeah, so Kingsbury Run and the Roaring Third were dark and dangerous places by the 1930s. All right, let's get into some murder. Okay, okay. No, wait, hold on, hold on. I'm so sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Questions, questions, comments, concerns? Are you keeping the name a secret? Hmm. I don't have to. You want me to tell you? Maybe. I mean, it's not like a huge, like, surprise. I just didn't write it in that way, but I can totally tell you. No, write it. I want to hear it the way you wrote it, Dar, Darland. Dar. 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 Okay. On September 23rd, 1935, two teenagers discovered the decapitated corpse of a man at the base of Jackass Hill in Mm. Kingsbury Run. Mm. Yeah, it gets worse. So, morning. The body was naked except for a pair of socks and was cleaned and completely drained of blood. And there were also visible rope burns found on both of his wrists. Uh, Cuyahoga County Coroner A.J. Price found that the man had also been castrated Mm. and guessed that he had been dead for two to three days. Mm. Okay. I told you it was bad. Yeah. Okay. You warned us. I did. I did. And I did say it was a serial killer. So, like, it's not going to be like, it's not going to be like easy breezy. times i keep going back to your randy adair story in my mind i'm like it's not gonna right? be one like of them soft. stories it's it's not gonna be like a fun grandpa story no <laughs> maybe uh i mean we're gonna need one next time but no we're gonna get we're real serial <laughs> killer time now he had been dead for about two or three days but the coroner was able to find that he had been alive at the time of the decapitation and the mm. castration Mm. Um, so likely castration than decapitation. Um, luckily though, police were able to get viable prints off the corpse and they were able to identify him as Edward Andrassy. Um, he was a 28 year old with a, a, an arrest record, which was how police were able to identify him by his fingerprints. He was, yeah, I know. Right. This is 1935. My head's spinning with like, how did they figure that out? Like, did they just have to go through each one on record by eye? Yes. Yes. I mean, it's 1935. Like I wanted, I I didn't have time. I wanted to really get into that because I was shocked. Yeah, they were because in this story, they're also using dental records. And I'm like, in 1935, most people did not go. This was like Great Depression. Most people were not going to the and even if it wasn't the Great Depression, dentistry was not like a big field. Like you went if you had to get like a tooth pulled, unless you were wealthy, you weren't like 
going to get your teeth cleaned every six months. Right. Probably didn't even invent in uh, the idea of teeth cleaning probably wasn't even invented. Then. Uh, like they're just like, no, we pull them out with rusty steel pliers and you can, mm-hmm. you can scream in the back when we're done. Yeah. <laughs> we share the equipment uh, with the OBGYNs too. So yeah, like, yeah, yeah. this is not going to be fun yeah. for anyone. No, no one's having a good time at all. No. Uh, and the good times, they keep on not coming. They keep on not coming. <laughs> now that's uh, a good was, phrase if I've ever heard it. Right. I, I thought so. Nice turn of phrase. He was rumored to be a homosexual and <gasps> I know, right? The all fucking dacity of him. And he frequented the Roaring Third. Police didn't know it yet, but they had just discovered the first known victim of the mad butcher of Kingsbury Run. A.K.A. Ooh. The Cleveland Torso Murderer. Ooh. No. Haven't heard of him. You don't know her? No. Don't know her. All right. I'm full on Mariah Carey right now. I don't know her. <laughs> Excellent. Investigators and experts over the years believe that Edward's murder was the most brutal of the bunch. But, you know, we'll hear the rest of them, and I'm not sure I agree. I think they were all mm-hmm. pretty horrible. But, yeah, so let's let's dive more. On the same day, September 23rd in 1935, a second man's body was discovered on Jackass Hill, the same place as Edward. This man was also decapitated and castrated, but there was Uh. a difference with this body. Investigators found the skin was treated with a chemical agent and it caused the, the skin to become reddish and leathery. They were unable to identify the chemical, but they they could find that he'd been dead for three or four weeks, which would put wow. him as the first victim and the second found victim. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, and police could see that he was a um, a white man, approximately forty years old. They were unable to identify the body, and to this day, he is known as John Doe Number One. Mm. On January twenty sixth. 1936 so we're looking at like four months later Mm -hmm. a woman discovered a half of a body of a woman wrapped in newspaper and packed into two half bushel baskets the baskets were left alongside the heart manufacturing building on central avenue in cleveland Mm -hmm. just like with edward and the other jackass hill victims the cause of death was decapitation. There was also another difference from Edward in that the killer waited for rigor mortis to set in before dismembering the rest of the body and her head was never found. Who's rigor mortis? That's, um... (laughs) (laughs) That was Alyssa Edwards from RuPaul. Okay. Uh, I remember. Okay. (laughs) Rigor Morris, Mama. <laughs> oh God, I miss Aly- Alyssa Edwards. Uh, oh I God, sure I do. used to, I used to love her so much. I gotta watch season five. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> she was the one backstabbing me behind my back. <laughs> well said. Well said. Oh, backstab me behind my back. And then obviously there's the back rolls and then yeah. girl, look lot of how backs fuck- with her. Yeah. Girl, look how fucking orange you look. Girl, Who's look that? how fucking orange you fucking orange look. You fucking- oh, sorry. Excuse me. I don't mean to misquote <laughs> the great 
Alyssa Edwards. Um, but she's, she's what a delight. And now I really, I mean, I'm in, I'm watch rewatching season eight. No, I finished it. So Yay. maybe now I'll go back and back and watch season five. That's a great, a great season. Oh, I think so. Do you know what? I think it was, you introduced me to Rue when I came out to see you in California. Remember? Mm, season and four. four. And it, cause it was with Latrice. Yes. And, um, I, that was like the best day of my life. I was just like, <laughs> I had no idea that everything I loved could be in one show at one time. And, and then yeah, you the got to go, season. we got to go and meet some of them yes. afterwards too. We met, we met Jiggly. We meet Jiggly. We met Jiggly and who else did we meet? I mean, I think that may have been the only ones we, we met, but then we saw oh. others perform, I believe. That's true. That's true. Anyway, uh, that was fun. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> I love it. Why um, we, we went on a tangent. We sure did. Rigor mortis. That's right. Rigor mortis. Right, so right, that's right. where Hold we're on. at. That's where we're at. I got to find my notes now. <laughs> Okay. Another difference was that all parts of her were found on the scene except her head. That wasn't found until 10 days later by another lucky passerby in the Cleveland area. Nice. There are a lot of traumatized people. Is that, it, a, is that a, a head? I, it couldn't possibly. It couldn't possibly and be. And it's a head. Oh, my God. It and is a head. And it's a head. Yeah, and unfortunately, like, a lot of people who find these body parts are, like, teenagers. And I'm just like, Ooh. oh, poor, poor babies. Poor babies. Bebes. That is a lifetime of trauma. Sure is. Sure um, is. Fingerprints identified this body um, as Florence Poli- Polio um, mm-hmm. or a.k.a. Florence Martin. She was a waitress, barmaid, and sex worker. And at the time of her death, she lived right on the edge of the Roaring Third and Kingsbury run. Mm-hmm. So this is our first lady. So now we're, we're straying because before the first two victims we found were dudes. Um, right. Sorry. That was, they were men. Um, right. And the deaths were more brutal in that they were castrated before that they were killed right. here. It looks like this woman not saying it wasn't horrible, but mm. it looks like he killed her with, the decapitation. So I thought that was interesting because it goes back and forth now. And there is a majority male victims here, but it, it's still interesting that the preference is, is so different yeah. in the victims. Yeah. Normally a serial killer sticks to a very specific type. Mm, and unless mm-hmm. there's, True. unless there's a, a reason to deviate, they don't. So it's just interesting. Okay. So she was identified as flow. So on June 5th, so now this is about, this is five or six months later, mm-hmm, um, on June 5th, months. yeah, 1936, um, in a flip of Florence's case, two young boys find the head of a white man wrapped in a pair of trousers close to the East 55th Street Bridge. Police weren't able to find his body until the following day. Um, his body was dumped in front of the nickel plate railroad police building mm. and he was cleaned, drained of blood, but his body w- remained intact except for the decapitated head, which had been the first time that that had happened as well. Normally mm-hmm. he dismembered them further. Sorry. I just chugged a bunch of iced tea and I'm burping. <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> I can't stop burping. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, Coroner Pierce again determined that the cause of death had been the decapitation itself. Police had a fresh set of fingerprints on this body, and this body had six distinctive tattoos all over his body. Mm -hmm. Even still, police were never able to identify the victim. He, to this day, is known as John Doe number two or the tattooed man. Um, and because of his tattoos and how, I mean, this is 1936. If you had a tattoo, you were in the military and you had one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But so what they did is they are just like, this is too much to be, you know, for this man to be invisible to everyone. So what they did was they had a plaster reproduction done of the man's head. Uh, no, he isn't the only one. And yes, you can see them today at the, I'll tell you later where you can see them today. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> they are, they are a lot and they are, woo, I will, woo. Um, and then along with a diagram of the kind and location of his tattoos were made mm-hmm. on display at the Great Lakes Exposition in 1936. Just on, you know, just hoping that somebody would be able to identify this man. Um, right. But they never, they never could. Wow. Yeah. And then about a month and a half later, July 22nd, 1936, a teenager was walking through the woods near Big Creek in Cleveland and found the decapitated body of another 40 year old white man. Police discovered his head and bloody clothes nearby. And the coroner determined that he had been dead about two months. So uh, he is one of the first few victims that makes him because he had been dead for, for that amount of time. Mm-hmm. Police discovered an enormous amount of blood had been soaked into the ground uh, near the body, making this the first discovery of a body at the place where the victim was killed. So mm-hmm. because all of the victims were decapitated and drained of their blood, the police determined that like they could not have been killed where they were found because there just wasn't any blood right? or there wasn't like, I think the body has like what, six pints, five pints of blood, something like that. Something like that. So, 10 pints of blood are in the average well, adult. Well, then even more. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. That's, that's a lot of blood. But yeah, so he was also never identified, and he is known as John Doe number three. Wow. And then just a little while later, on September 10th, 1936, back in Kingsbury Run, a transient man was walking along the train tracks and tripped over the upper half of a man's torso while trying to jump on a train. Can you, you know imagine? When that if I had a he's nickel. Just like, he's just like, are you, he's just like, I'm an adult. I am a transient. I'm an, I'm a hobo. I'm just trying to get on this train and there is just a man, the upper half of the torso. And now I got to deal with this. So they only found the upper half police and the coroner came on the scene and they found that there was a nearby open, open sewer. They called it a pool, but then they said, um, that it was also an open sewer. So, and they huh. sent a diver into the pool who was able to locate the other half of the torso and parts of both legs. Wow. In the thirties still like again, I know. Right. I thought it was pretty, I I just good, good for them. I mean, they were on top of it. And this was interesting because I mean, 
even with the depression and more people being poor um, and just completely devastated economically by Uh the depression, there's still the problem of these people and where they're from and being less dead in that these are transient people, these are homeless people, or I mean, just, you know, they're poor or some of the women were sex workers. So these are easily victims that can... A lot of the times, especially in this time period, just be swept under the rug and just be right. like, nah, we don't have a problem. They shouldn't have been there. They deserved it if there was a problem, but there's not a problem. Right. So, I mean, that wasn't what was happening here. Police were looking into it. I don't know that. I mean, and I really do think like you can look at there's pictures of this investigation and these, this is mm-hmm. almost 100 years ago. And I really think, you know, there are. It's actually kind of funny because you see them all chomping on their cigars in their suits, like (laughs) in these like dirt pits, like trying to like find clues. And I'm just like, boys, get a jumpsuit. Get some some, sterile clothing. (laughs) Put some gloves on and get that turd out of your mouth. You are working. (laughs) You are working. Just because you're wearing a tie doesn't doesn't mean you're doing it right. Nope. Um. But in the, so yeah, as the police were looking, over 600 people gathered to watch the police wow. dive for body parts. 600. That's so many. That is um, so many. <laughs> I know. Um, but also it was not only the 30s with less entertainment, but there were just a, a ton of unemployed and homeless people. What else are you going to do? Yeah. This man, they determined, was in his 20s, and his cause of death was also decapitation. The coroner noted in this case that the killer lacked hesitation marks that he had seen before in the dismemberment of the body, and it Mm -hmm. indicated a strong, confident killer with very familiar with human anatomy. The head had been cut off in one bold, clean stroke, and he was really coming into himself, end quote. So this is like profiling that they're doing of this killer in 1936. And I just don't think I've ever given any police or like any kind of investigative agency from this time, any credit. (laughs) I was, I was shocked that they could identify people by, by fingerprints and, and dental records. And now they're like putting together a pretty, decent profile. Pretty decent investigation profile. I mean, none of it is like any of like the weird shit you would think. Um, but yeah, so he is known. Actually, I don't know. Did anybody else think that there would be weird shit in investigations? I guess there wouldn't be. I think that was just a me thing. But he is known as John Doe number four. Mm-hmm. So by the end of the butcher's first year of killing, he had he had six known victims in the first year. Police did not have a single piece of evidence or a suspect. Newspapers in Cleveland printed stories about the butcher daily, adding to the mounting pressure on the police to stop the killings. Mayor Harold Burton recently appointed safety safety director Elliot Ness. Yes, that Elliot Ness of the FBI's Untouchables, who was hot off of his his, um, Al Capone investigation oh wow well yeah. i'm i'm ignorant to this elliot ness character um he's sort of just like he's just like a legendary cop that cops worship he was known to be huh. incorruptible <laughs> but um i don't like him that much after this story and i don't think he has like a great his- historical reputation <laughs> 
But I mean, I think he's just like for like the forerunner of the FBI, which he Mm -hmm. was. And uh, I mean, you know, he was part of this whole team that was investigating not up until this point, but after this point going forward, he's sort of the head investigator. Got it. Honestly, we could do like a whole episode series on Alien-S. There's just not enough time. Coroner Pierce called for what the newspapers called a, quote, torso clinic, end quote, which Hmm. by that he meant a meeting of the police, the coroner, and other experts to discuss the information and to, quote, profile someone who could be responsible, which, like, again. But detectives Peter Merrilow, M-E-R-Y-L-O, and then Martin Zalewski put on the case as the full-time detectives. They went undercover often in the run and the roaring third and boy, howdy when they went undercover, they really hit it on the nose. There was a picture of one of them. It was wearing like, like, you know, like in your head, if you think of a hobo, like, what are you thinking? Flappy hat, flappy hat, stick with the bandana. Yep. Um, sack or whatever i don't know yeah whatever um just like the whole thing and like they had dirt on their face like they were like they were like a high school production of hobos oh wow but i mean they did it forever and maybe it's a stereotype because everybody looked like that because whatever they got information i just like i saw the picture and i was like really you had to do like the the stick and the uh the pouch with the bandana and all of it yeah they were probably sitting in some makeup chair too before Seriously. But I mean, this was also a time before we knew what the police were up to most of the time. So Mm -hmm. I don't know that, you know, it wasn't, there's not TV and movies. So like, we know that cops go undercover. I don't know if that wasn't in pop culture. I mean, how would we know that? Why would we know that? Mm, Yeah. We certainly don't know that now, like between you and me. (laughs) No, no, for sure. I mean, um, well, now you would hope that you would never know. I don't yes. know how that works. You would hope that you would never know somebody was undercover. But, like, it just <laughs> wasn't an idea. Like, nobody would be like, ah, this guy's an undercover cop. In my experience researching this, I could be absolutely wrong. I normally am. But they went undercover, and by the time the case had run its course, the two had interviewed more than 1,500 people, and the department as a whole, more than 5,000 people. And it would be the biggest case in Cleveland police history. After the November elections of that year, Corner Pierce was replaced by Sam Gerber, who's, uh, he had a dedication to medicine and he had a law degree and he was heavily involved in the investigation itself. And then on February 23rd, 1937, mm-hmm. the upper half of a woman's torso was found on the east shore of Lake Erie in, I'm going to, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, in Brattenall, Ohio, which B-R-A-H-T-E-N-A-H-L. So Brattenall, Ohio. Mm-hmm. The bottom half of the body wouldn't be discovered until three months later when it, it popped up basically in the same area. Still, even with that, investigators were able to determine that unlike all the other victims, her cause of death was not decapitation because mm-hmm. they determined that was done after she was dead but that was all they were able to find and they were so this was a woman and she became jane doe number one 
I wonder how they can determine that. I'm fascinated by that. How they can determine how someone died being found in water. In water in 1937. I just want to know how they conclude that. So Um, there's there's a reason we don't know that. And part of it is that all of Elliot Ness's notes and uh everything about this case were later destroyed. So, and, and again, this was the detectives and not even Elliot Ness. I think they were working at his like direction, Sure, but you know, records get lost. I'm sure that there's a reason for it. And I'm sure that it's very logical, but I have no idea how even today we would have been able to determine how, like when a body was decapitated, if it was found, both parts were found in the water Mm -hmm. or maybe it wasn't like in the water. Maybe it was just like, it was like on the shore and it was just like getting water, like water was on it, but it wasn't like in water. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't but... know. I'm not a forensic scientist. No. Yeah. Just curious. Yeah. And then um, on May 26, 1937, the little steel strike began in Cleveland when members of the steel workers organizing committee voted to strike Republic Steel, Youngstown Sheet and Tube, and mm-hmm. Inland Steel, the major independent steel producers known as, quote, Little Steel. By June 17th, discussions had reached an impasse as the companies rejected the board's compromise settlement and refused to enter into a contract with the committee. Faced with the company's determination to reopen the mills, the governor ordered the National Guard to provide protection to the employees who wished to return to their jobs, which it was the Depression, but don't break a strike. Right. And then in Cleveland, the mayor and sh- the sheriff requested that um, the guards be sent to Cleveland for July 6th, opening of the Republic's mills. And the police sheriff declared military rule the day before the scheduled opening. The National Guard was removed by July 16th, but 10 days later, uh, Cleveland was rocked by violence and a riot between workers and the strikers. Um, so that was sort of the environment as we go into the summer of 1937. That seems fraught. Yes. On June 6, 1937, another poor teenager fa- found human remains. This time it was a skull under the Lorraine Carnegie Bridge. And then next to it was a burlap bag containing a full skeleton. Except, oddly enough, it was missing one rib. But yeah. dental work helped police identify the body as a 40-year-old Rose Wallace, and she was the butcher's only black victim, and she had been dead for at least a year. So she had been dead since at least June of 1936. Wow. And again, they used dental work. It just blows my mind. But she was originally identified as Jane Doe number two, but later were able to find her true identity as Rose Wallace. A month later, on July 6th, when um, the plants were set to back open back up, mm-hmm. um, a National Guardsman was standing watch by the West 3rd Street Bridge when he saw part of a body in the wake of a passing tugboat. Over the next few days, police recovered an entire body except for a head from the waters of the Cuyahoga River. In this case, the abdomen had been gutted and the heart ripped out which had indicated a new level of escalation and viciousness in the killer. This victim was in his mid to late 30s and had been dead for two to three days. 
Again, unfortunately, they were never able to identify him. They weren't able to get any clues off of him. And he is known as John Doe number five. Okay. Yeah. So at this point, our butcher must have gotten a little tired because they took a big long break until April of 1938. When on April 8th, a laborer was walking to work when they saw what they thought was a big dead fish on the banks of the Cuyahoga River. What it actually was, was a lady leg. It was also the only part of Jane Doe number three that was found at that time. Um, wow. Yeah, just, just her leg. So, But a month later, police pulled two burlap bags out of the river and they contained the body parts and the torso and most of the rest of her legs. For the first time, the coroner detected drugs in the system of one of these victims, and he speculated it was either drugs were used to immobilize her, or she could have been an addict, or she could have just been using for the night, but ultimately he could never determine any, you know, either way. Mm-hmm. Sure. We're getting to the end. <laughs> yeah. Sort of, sort of. Sort of. Um, <laughs> listen, it's going to be over soon. On August 16th, 1938, mm-hmm. three scrap collectors were foraging in a dump um, at East 9th and Lakeside Avenue and found the torso of a woman wrapped in a man's double-breasted blue blazer and then wrapped again in an old quilt. The legs and arms were discovered in a recently constructed box and wrapped in round butcher paper and held together with rubber bands. The head was also wrapped with paper with rubber bands. And the coroner noted in this case that some of the parts looked as if they had been refrigerated. While searching for more body pieces, for more parts of the body, I guess pieces is great. Um, the police discovered the remains of a second body only yards away. The two bodies had been placed in a location that was in plain view from Elliot Ness's window from his office. Wow. As if he was, yeah, as if he was taunting, taunting. him. And I think, yeah, I think we can conclude that he was. Jesus. Of co- yeah. Neither body was ever identified and they became victims 11 and 12, Jane Doe number four and John Doe number six, respectively. Wow. So Elliot Ness, he took the bait and he, he, he said that he was being taunted and he did something about it and to be a big man. So he thought it'd be cool to bring 35 of his most understanding officers to raid the hobo jungle shanty towns of Kingsbury run 11 police cars, two police vans, three fire trucks descended on the area of makeshift shacks by the Cuyahoga river and um, they worked their way south through the run, gathering 63 men. Uh, at dawn, the police and a fireman searched the area for clues. And then by Ness's order, the shacks were set on fire and burned to the ground. Wow. Yeah. The press severely criticized Ness for his actions, surprisingly. Um, and the public was so afraid and frustrated by the murders and the critics said the raid would do nothing to solve the murders and they were right. But, and this is interesting mm-hmm. for whatever reason, the murder stopped. Hmm. So, so did Elliot Ness have actual reason to do what he did and it led to the death or ultimate stopping of the crime or was he did he get lucky and it was a coincidence 
Interesting. It really is. And those are what are called the 12 canonical victims because there are others now that I'm going to go into very quickly um, that have later been attributed to the butcher of of Kingsbury run. And this is, this first one is uh, called murder number zero because he was killed before. um, I'm sorry. So before the discovery of the first victim, Edward Andrassi in September, 1934, about a year before, so the lower half of a woman's torso was discovered, thigh mm-hmm. still attached but amputated at the knees, and she was washed up on the shores of Lake Erie, just east of, as I said before, Brethenal, Ohio. So where we had found a later victim, um, a victim later on, excuse me. At the time, we were still with Coroner Price, and he noted that some sort of chemical preservative on the skin that turned it red, rough, and leathery. So this was the same as victim number two or John Mm -hmm. Doe number one. So after the investigation was done and they were going through, they they decided that this person was ultimately the first victim of the butcher. Um, That victim was found to be a woman in her 30s, her head was never found and she was never identified only known as the lady of the lake and victim zero. And then July 1st, 1936, there was a head, a headless body of an unidentified man was found in a box car in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. Three headless victims were found in box cars near McKee's rocks, Pennsylvania in May, 1940. All had similar injuries to those by the killer in Cleveland Dismembered bodies were also found in swamps near Newcastle, Pennsylvania, between 1921 and 1934, and then again in 1939 to 1942. Hmm. He was dubbed by the Newcastle media this the murder swamp killer. So they were almost identical um, in, in the victims and the crimes themselves. Right. The MO. Yeah. And it was... Yeah, and it was interesting because the Baltimore Ohio Railroad line mm-hmm. connected this town to Cleveland. So um, many rightfully believe that they are all the work of the mad, mad butcher of Kingsbury Run. Um, Detective Marlowe was convinced of the connection um, because the train ran twice a day between the two cities, and he often rode the trains himself undercover looking for clues. And then what is thought to be the final victim of the butcher was found mm-hmm. on July 22nd, 1950. The body wow. of 40, yeah, right. The body of 41-year-old Robert Robertson was found in Cleveland. Um, police believe he had been dead six to eight weeks and he appeared to have been intentionally decapitated. Um, his death appeared to fit the, the profile of the other victim. He was estranged from his family. He had an arrest record. He had a drinking problem. He was on the fringes of society. Mm-hmm. And despite the widespread newspaper coverage linking him to the other murders in the 1930s, detectives ultimately investigated Robertson's death as an isolated crime, but today believe... It could uh, be connected. It could be connected. Yep. I mean, so that's all, all of the victims. Wow. But, and there's, there's two um, suspects I'm going to get into real quick. But ultimately, we don't know who he is. And um, despite some people believing that Elliot Ness knew whether he did or not, he took it to his grave. So, huh. 
So um, as far as suspects go, I mean, it was a hard case because there was a huge number of bodies and there were tons of officers and multiple agencies working together on this case, but there were no witnesses. There was no evidence left behind by the killer and the victims were on the fringes of society. They were the less dead. And we know that people just don't care about it that much when homeless people die. And if they do, they're not going to care for long. Right. Um, Yeah. A lot of investigators consider the last canonical murder of the Kingsbury run butcher to end, have ended in 1938. And then on August 24th, 1939, the sheriff arrested bricklayer Frank Dolezal for the murder of Flo, uh, I'm sorry, Florence Polio. Um, She, I think was the third victim. He had lived with her for a while and the investigation showed that he actually knew Edward and Drassi and Rose Wallace, the only black victim as well. His quote unquote confession turned out to be incoherent ramblings peppered in with very neat, specific, precise details. And officers at the time thought he had been coached almost. But before he could go to trial, Dolezal was found dead in his cell um, in an apparent suicide that really probably wasn't a suicide because he was five foot eight and apparently he'd hung him, he hanged himself from a hook in his cell that was five feet seven inches off the ground. So that doesn't really make sense. And also the autopsy. Yeah, the autopsy revealed six broken ribs, which he <laughs> did not have before he was in sheriff's custody. Mm-hmm. And so um, to this day, nobody really thinks he killed himself, but also nobody really thinks that he is the killer. And one website I was looking at posits, why did Sheriff O'Donnell, do we know something? Did he know something we didn't? Um, and then our our only other real suspect in this, and there were a bunch of suspects, but these are the only ones that people really talk about that had any weight to them. Um, there's Dr. Francis E. Sweeney. They think it could have been a doctor for the same reason they think um, Jack the Ripper could have been a doctor. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. The castrations, the neat surgical lines, um, all of all of the good stuff. Yeah, all the blood draining. Yeah, the blood draining, knowing how to do that. I mean, you have to, to, to like drain a body, like think about like, I mean, don't think about it, but like when you butcher an animal, you have to ha- like hang them upside down mm-hmm. and like drain the blood from their bodies. So you have to have a place where, I mean, and maybe Every it is the woods. last drop of it. Yes. Yes, you, you perfect creep with your perfect creep voice. Thank you. <laughs> um. Let's see. Uh, Before the interrogation of Dr. Sweeney, he was detained in a hotel room for three days because he was so intoxicated he could not function. Wow. During his interrogation, Sweeney failed uh, two very early versions of a polygraph machine. Both tests were administered by the man who would later develop what we know as the polygraph test, Mm -hmm. who told Elliot Ness that he had his man. Like, this was definitely it. Um, Ness though felt that there was little chance of obtaining a successful prosecution of the doctor because the doctor was the first cousin of Ness's political opponent, Congressman Martin Sweeney, who had been hounding Ness, who had been hounding Ness in the press publicly about his failure to catch the butcher. Hounding Ness in the press. Hounding Ness Ness in in the press. Nice. 
Sweeney committed himself um, to a mental institution and there were no more leads or connections that police could assign. And that is where Elliot Ness's involvement kind of ended. Mm -hmm. Um, But from his hospital confinement, Dr. Sweeney sent threatening and harassing postcards to Elliot Ness and his family well into the 1950s, only stopping after his death. <laughs> Which, like, petty son of a I, bitch. I know, it's so petty. Um, a modern theory that has developed in like the late 90s was that the butcher is multiple people. I can Based see that. on the victims, they think it would be likely that the killers of men, the men seem to seem to be the same person because I mean, ultimately with all the victims, there is decapitation. So there is a link between all of them, but with the men, I mean, there's the castration. Um, there's the way he leave, he left the body. Like the first body, it was like, it wasn't posed per se, but it wasn't just laid out randomly either. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The, the theory is based on the assumption that the autopsy results were inconclusive because coroner Pierce, they believe could have been inconsistent as to regarding whether the cuts on the bodies were like done by someone with a firm, steady hand or done by like a first timer. Um, and then also his successor, Gerber, really loved being a part in the press. Um, so he he really oh, and he had involved um conspiracy theorists into mm-hmm. his like investigation, so he sort of lost credibility. Therefore, really, the only thing we know is that all the victims were decapitated and dismembered. That is the only thing we know. It's also rumored that he moved out west and wrote a letter to Elliot Ness two or three times saying that he had left Cleveland for good, but that he might have been involved in the Black Dahlia murder because both killings had similarities only known by the killer himself. Curious as well. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Every So all police records on this case have since been lost, destroyed, or removed. And that is the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run, a.k.a. the Cleveland Torso Murderer. Dun, dun. So he was never identified. Never. And there's not really, there's never been any good suspects really either. Damn, man. Like, Yeah. Proficient. And ultimately, it, yeah. Yeah, right? It was good, decent police work, um, yeah. especially for the time. Yeah. But, I mean, there's no cameras. There's no witnesses. People in this area... I mean, even like, so if you're staying in one of the shanties in Kingsbury run, there's Mm -hmm. odds. I mean, there's so many people, number one, but there's so many people who are transient. So you're there for a day and gone, or you're there for a week and you're gone. But that doesn't mean that the people around you are there for long-term and would recognize you. So you can really exist in the shadows and participate fully in the life around you. He can be living mm-hmm. in Kingsbury run and going to the third to do his gambling, his drinking and his flop house and, and his sex work. And, you know, so he could be anyone. And I mean, there's no theories that it could be a woman, but I am saying he, but we don't know that it's a, he, we don't know anything about the killer at all, but considering the, I mean, well, I mean, if he was like a butcher and he had like a a butcher's office, what is it called? A butcher shop? Butcher um, shop, yeah. Yeah, not a butcher's office. Like <laughs> you could easily just, you know, you could easily do it there. You have all the equipment. So True. 
It's just, I guess we'll never know. It's wild that it's never been solved. But uh, I, I yeah. thank you for illuminating me to that story too. Cause I, yeah. Didn't yeah. And, and again, like I, I didn't really, I didn't know, or I didn't remember anyway, that he was so prolific. Like I didn't know that he had so many victims. Like he has absolutely yeah. like, he has the 12 canonical victims and then they have victim number zero. So there's absolutely 13 victims attributed to the quote unquote right. torso murderer, um, whether or not that's more than one person, but they ultimately believe there was at least 20 victims that ultimately ended up being attributed to it. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, yeah. miss. Yeah. So you're welcome for your weekly uh, mood bump in the right direction. <laughs> Everybody's up. Everybody's feeling good. Everybody, nobody's feeling murdery or dark. Not one. No one's feeling murdery. Well, Kevin, you want to spoop us up? I can spoop us up. Sure. Spoop me, baby. One more. Nope. Just cut that. Uh, 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 I'm going to leave that in. Please, please cut it out. Spoop <laughs> me, baby. One more time. Spoop me, baby. <laughs> one more time. <laughs> yeah. So spoop me, baby. Yeah. I'm happy to. This week... I am excited about this story because also I'm I'm going back to a good tried and true spoopy theme, which is a haunting um, yes, or a haunted I love place. Yeah, haunting. Yeah, so I'm excited to to talk to you more about this. So at 5:35 East Allen Street in Tombstone, Arizona. Okay. You will find a curious establishment known as the Birdcage Theater. Okay. In 1882, the New York Times declared the Birdcage the roughest, bawdiest, and most wicked night spot between Basin Street and the Barbary Coast. I'm sorry. The Birdcage, like the, not like the movie, the Birdcage. No, in 1882. Okay. Oh. <laughs> oh my God, Kevin, please cut it. <laughs> God damn. Okay, all right. We're in the 18 whatevers. It's 1880s, not... Tombstone, Arizona. We're here in the Wild Wild West. We're, We're here in, in the, the town. Shame waterfall. Yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Apartment. <laughs> so have, having it being described as a body, wicked, rough place says a lot considering that tombstone arizona was a pretty rough and tumble mining town in the late 1800s literally literally the roughest tumbliest yes full of cowboys and outlaws and gamblers and and sex workers and 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 ghosts maybe allegedly and hell yeah let's (laughs) go and for as little of a timeline as the wild, wild west idea of Tombstone mm-hmm. was only around. Um, it really did cement itself in wild west lore and history for sure. Okay. All right. So a little bit about the town itself first. It was founded in the year 1877 by a prospector by the name of Ed Schieffelin. I guess is how okay. it's spelled. Schieffelin. Schieffelin. And once it was founded, it, it took about five or so years and it grew really significantly because of all of the local silver mines there that were okay. 
fetching millions of dollars in that times dollars for silver. Oh, not like million in today's dollars, like millions. No, ma'am. Yes, yes, ma'am. And within like seven years, the population of Tombstone exploded from about 100 to about 14,000. Like 100 people? Yes, to (laughs) 14,000 people. That's a significant increase. Yeah. It had a bowling alley and two banks, an ice cream parlor, and over 100 saloons and brothels. Hell yeah. Hell is right. It sounds like a really fun time. Party town in Tombstone. Party town. You city (laughs) in Tombstone. And Tombstone is perhaps best known for the famous gunfight at the OK Corral. Right. Which I've only ever heard of that. I never knew like what was involved with that story. Did you? Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't. Not like that, not like the shooting at the OK Corral. Well, this story involves, it it was within the, it's in the year 1881 and there were, it started in March where there were like three outlaws that were known as the uh, capital cowboys. So they were known as cowboys. They attempted to rob a stagecoach, which was transporting $26,000 in silver, which in today's money was around $700,000. And they killed the driver and the passenger, and the U.S. Marshal named Virgil Earp um, got his two brothers, Morgan and some dude named Wyatt Earp. Wyatt Earp. Interesting. He wasn't even, Wyatt wasn't even the most important Earp. No. And so he was deputized, like he deputized his brothers, and the three of them pursued those assailants. Wow. Okay. And it culminated in October of 1881 with a gunfight. But it was in a vacant lot near the OK Corral. It was never technically in it itself. (laughs) Okay. But it started maybe in the OK Corral. Yes. And then apparently that led to other um, uh, retaliations from the Cowboys to the Earp family. It got like personal (laughs) then. So Cowboys v. Earps. Yeah, um, Virgil, who was U.S. Marshal, um, in December of that year, he was ambushed and he was seriously wounded by the Cowboys, but he wasn't killed. And then three months later, Morgan and Wyatt Earp were playing pool at a local bar when Morgan was basically sniped and he was shot in the spine in the saloon while they were playing pool. So Wyatt, like, saw his brother, you know, die. Excellent. Um, yeah. It's really funny that if, you know, you're not talking about the herbs, mm-hmm. you could really just be talking about any time period. Like yeah. they were just like at the bar shooting pool. Like, <laughs> yes. And he was like, and he was shot. Like this could literally be any time. I had no idea that people were just hanging out shooting pool in the old West. I know. I don't know why. Yeehaw. I don't know. Like, I don't know why that's surprising. I guess I just thought maybe it came later. But whatever. Yeah, I'm not sure. And it's my own ignorance. <laughs> and after White Earp believed yeah. that legal justice was out of reach, so he ended up creating Hell a yeah. posse who became known as the Earp Vendetta Ride. And it oh. was intended to hunt down the men responsible for attacking his brothers. And he ended up killing four men that he believed were responsible. That's um, the oak shootout at the OK Corral. Eh, it's good. Eh. It's 
good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was the OK Corral okay. and Tombstone. But um, today's story, we're talking about the Birdcage Theater. Right. Not the the beloved 1990s movie with Robin Williams. Easy mistake, I would say. <laughs> the Birdcage Theater was one of the more notable locations in Tombstone. It was a saloon. Okay. It was a brothel, okay. a theater, entertainment okay. venue, bar, all that fun stuff. All right. So that um, establishment those. was opened in 1881, and okay. it was owned by Lottie and Billy Hutchinson. And all right. Billy initially intended to put on more family-friendly shows there, like he had seen in San Francisco, but that wasn't really panning out. He tried to do, like, ladies' night, where the respectable ladies of Tombstone could come, and y'all... Turns out there weren't any. (laughs) There either weren't any, or they're just no fucking fun, you know? I mean, I think both is probably true. Yeah, so he switched to offer more or rougher and body entertainment and okay. attract more of the miners of the city instead yeah. of the upper crust. The so real people. Yeah, he started to put on entertainment. So one of the best known acts was a performer named Mademoiselle de Granville, aka the female Hercules, who performed okay. feats of strength, like picking up heavy objects with her teeth. For some queer history, the site was also host to masquerade balls where entertainers sometimes would don drag and sing like body ballads. Hell yeah. So like a drag show? (laughs) Basically. Yeah. For people who don't really know, the Wild West was also queer as fuck. Oh, Um, yes, it was. I do know that. Super gay. And get on board with it. You know, get into it. Well, do you know, have you heard about, um, what's his name? Sam Elliott? Yes. Fuck the, yeah. Fuck his, those comments. Like, yeah. And I just, when I, when I, when I heard that, what happened, I was mm-hmm. like, um, so you've never uh, like read a book or yeah, like done never... any research on like the actual wild west that you pretend to know about. They were a fucking, they a were lot. a fucking, <laughs> yes, ma'am. And it was also a really, um, not good time, but it was also, um, a lot of time for trans women as well. You could get away with a lot more in the West. Uh, so even if you were just a cross dresser, if you were just wow. a man dressing as a woman, it depended on where you were and who owned the establishment, but it was, you were better off there than in the yes. East sometimes. That makes sense. Yeah. The birdcage is also known to have had the longest poker game in history. Oh, The game lasted, it went continuously since the saloon was open 24 hours, seven days a week. The game lasted for eight years. One continual game. Why? It's estimated that some $10 million was exchanged during that eight year period. So they just like never started a new game. No, you can just, you could buy in and play and then i guess you could buy out when you were done or if you lost all your money (laughs) and just in the short couple years that it was um open and operating there were at least 26 deaths and over 140 bullets that had been shot inside the saloon (laughs) america yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> and today, travelers and staff that still work there because it is all but a tourism trap now, kind of mining sure. city, you know, set up. Right. Travelers right. and staff alike alleged to see the specters of courtesans and Ooh. cowboys. Hell they yeah. Even, they even say that they can smell cigar smoke, even though the saloon is non-smoking. Right. Some claim to catch a whiff of whiskey, even when no one else is around. Which I'm like, you're dirty, in a bar. A little, so. I can't. So, so the whiskey couldn't have come from here. It's obviously from a. It was from obviously the ghost ghost. Of a, a big, tall, barrel-chested horse-riding yes. man. Yes, a ghost Ooh, man. I think I've, I think I've seen this show. <laughs> they also report laughter being overheard uh, whenever the brothel is is like empty, and yeah, oh, so yeah, like ladies, they just have some fun. Yeah, this place is like turned into like a, a pretty well known haunting like a, haunted like location, a literal ghost town. Yes, a ghost town. That's fun. ghost town. A haunted ghost town. And one of the more infamous murders that occurred there involved two painted ladies or. Uh, okay brothel workers okay and they were from painted ladies is that another word for sex worker Uh (gasps) uh-huh i love it painted lady okay work bitch lady of the night painted lady okay moving on um and there was the um so there was a murder that involved margarita and another painted lady named little gertie the gold dollar was her name <laughs> little gertie the gold okay Dollar. i'm so sorry so there's margarita uh-huh. and little gert and little gertie the the what the gold the dollar? gold dollar yes not golden Ins- dollar but the gold dollar insulting gertie <laughs> well get right. into this gig so margarita okay. worked at the um birdcage theater and okay. little gertie worked at the crystal palace which was a rival brothel Little Gert. <laughs> and in 1882, a regular patron of Little Gertie was caught being entertained by the tall, dark, and willowy Margarita. Oh. And some dirty. even alleged that dude was Little Gertie's kind of live in lover, too. So she was doubly jealous. And <laughs> oh. Little Gert's yeah. not letting you take her man lying down. Apparently she was scrappy as fuck because Hell yeah. she ended up grabbing a handful of Margarita's hair and took off Oops. one of her stilettos and kept stabbing her in the oh heart. <laughs> it's not Inside funny, the birdcage. Oh my God. That is, that is, she's strong. Yeah. That's, and she was I taking mean, no a, shit. That is a blunt end the bottom of a heel yeah and then she fled when she heard that the marshals were called and she didn't get too far she was apprehended curiously though no charges were ever filed because what because she threw the um shoe like the murder weapon threw that away so there was no murder weapon then no murder could be tried they couldn't what they couldn't prove that a murder had happened essentially if you don't have the murder weapon despite you know eyewitnesses laws used used to be a lot more fun (laughs) but also this is also the wild west you never you know who knows how it was technically there's technically i mean and like when you a lot of those territories like they would adopt like a new territory would come along and like they would adopt say 
we're going to adopt the same laws for slavery as Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so they basically like take on the legal system of like a surrounding area. So, and then there's just like the local sheriff who can, in this time is pretty all powerful and can just do whatever they want. Yeah. Yeah. So visitors claim to be able to see Margarita today and she naked. Okay. She's a naked Ooh, ghost. Girl. Yeah. All right. Painted you better lady. work, bitch. You better work. Oh, that's a lot of Brittany for this episode. <laughs> and curiously too, one of the last, um, um, stories that I have about ghosts happening or sightings at the birdcage. Uh-huh. Many people report sightings of a ghost known as the lady in white who oh. has been like seen over decades. She's uh, wow. always seen wearing a white bonnet and a white dress. And when a lady huh. was wearing a bonnet back then, that was a sign of a proper lady. So it is a bit of an unusual okay. sight for the birdcage, and no one knows really who she is. Right. Why would a, po- why would a proper lady going, be going oh, in there? Indeed. And so, yeah, the next time you're looking for kind of like an authentic Western experience where you can also get some ghosts in a ghost town, yeah, maybe put Tombstone, Arizona on your list. Yeah. Never know. The authentic tourist town of Tombstone, The authentic Arizona. tourist town. We can also go to like... <laughs> The OK Corral, and you can yeah. do other things, I assume. Can we play pool? <laughs> can we get shot while we're playing pool? Ooh, better yet, let's get yeah. shots before we get shot playing pool. Ooh, better, better. Won't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. I'd never, never heard of that. Thank you so much for your story. It's very, I love, you know, I love anything historical so i loved it yeah and i love the idea of a haunted ghost town yeah and i would love to see a movie i don't know am i not thinking of one that's already been made but like is there like a western kind of ghost story hmm you know i'm not the best person to ask but i can't think of anything off the top of my head yeah me neither but well let's write Let's write that screenplay. Let us do it. We have a lot of screenplays to be writing, apparently. Yeah. I mean, what is what is our list? I mean, our original list started in ninth grade, but. True. I mean, I, I think even Facebook just last out. week we talked about. Did we? Oh, we were. <laughs> yes. We were going to. Oh, start a band. That's what we were going to do mm, last week. Mm-hmm. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. We got to get on that, yeah. too. Nice. I, Look, I mean, we're Renaissance people, right? Podcasters, musicians, actors, yeah. writers, directors. Mm, I am one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at us. Episode 19. 19 in the bag. Isn't that your favorite number? It is. Thank you for remembering something psychotic like that about me. <gasps> I got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for anyone else who's crazy, I have a I, I have a preference for certain numbers. And yes. I love the number 19. <laughs> and so, yes, 19 is my favorite. Well, thank you guys so much for listening in. We are yes, always you. striving Endless to put out new episodes it. every Wednesday. So please yeah. drop us a line. Um, check us out on our socials. Uh, we're, you can find us everywhere at Creepy, at creepy Inquiries Pod. Mm-hmm. We're also on YouTube if you want to listen to us on YouTube. Um, I would love to try and play oh, around yeah. with that more often too and, and make it a little more uh, 
um, maybe watchable, eventually. I'll say. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, maybe eventually we can put a video. Yeah, because she's still learning. She's learning how to put up videos. So Um, I'm still learning how to do it. The Instagram. So no judgment from this side of the Zoom. Yeah, Miss, how did you feel about this episode? I loved it. I had a really good time. I loved getting in. I loved getting back to like. Yeah, we went back to basics. We went to serial killers and hauntings. And hauntings, yeah. Um, And honestly, I don't think it was – I hope I'm not wrong. I tried to make it not um, graphic as maybe I could have, so – but yeah, I had a really so, great time. Yeah. But it was it was fun to get back into some gross, brutal murders. Oh um, yes, it's as, always good to circle as, back. Oh yeah, be like, oh yeah, this is why we're doing this because I'm insane and I love researching this <laughs> and putting together a story. It's ridiculous. Alrighty, well, um, at the end of every episode. I know I always like to say goodbye. You want to do it with me, Mass? Sure thing. <sighs> Good. Good.